The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. And so we're going to have two uh, readings today. First one is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Then our second reading will be from James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Again, morning, y'all. We're going to pray one last time, and then we're going to jump into the message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, uh, eager to hear what you have to say. Lord, at the end of the day, you are a God who shows up. You are a God who plays the role of champion, hero, and advocate. Lord, we pray that you give us the courage and the insight uh, and the dedication uh, to be that role for others in our lives. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So if you guys don't know me, one of the things that you find out very quickly is how much I love superheroes. And there's a lot of people who like superhero movies. Uh, They make a lot of money. I take that to the next level, probably to the next level after that, actually, right? So when I was doing my interview with this church, at least a half a dozen times during the call meetings, I would be like, I don't think you realize, I'm not sure if I've emphatically stated enough how much I love superhero movies. For some reason, they connect with me. And there are certain tropes or beats that happen in almost every superhero movie. But one of my favorites is in that dark moment where someone is about to just either get beaten or killed or whatever else, and the music turns. And you start hearing something like this, and I believe Tanner's got it set up. Wait for it. You know what I'm talking about? All right, so this is from Avengers Infinity War. Uh, Someone is about to get the beat down, and all of a sudden, this music cued. And you could just see my face starting to split, right? Because I knew Captain America was about to show up, and he was about to open a can, right? And it was going to change the story. It was going to change the narrative, right? All right, thank you. I appreciate it. But this idea of being that champion, being that person who shows up at the darkest moment, and what that looks like. Like I said, we've been talking about the series called Unleashed, which is this idea that God designed his church to be change agents. Not just to gather together, not just to go through a bunch of religious rituals, but to actually change the world, to be an advocate and a champion for what God wanted to do in and around each place his church was at. So that's what we're looking at today, is what that looks like. But I wanted to start off by pointing to a couple different areas of Scripture where God really clearly states what he wants his people to be about. And it's in contrast to what we often think church is about. Because if you were to ask the average person just on the street, what is church about? Well, they would say, well, it's about maybe you gather on Sunday, or you listen to a message, or you sing some songs, or you pray. And they would say those are the core components of what it looks like to be the church. And yet when we look at Scripture we actually see a very different reason for why God gathers his people together. In the book of Isaiah, God has some very harsh words for his people. Chapter 1 starts off, and I'm going to read some Bible verses to you, and then I'm going to give you a translation for the modern day, right? So, chapter 1, verse 11 says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of your burnt offerings of rams or the fattened animals. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Now, we read that in modern-day America, and we're like, wow, that's 
That's interesting. I don't entirely know how that applies to me. Well, modern day translation, what God is saying to his people is, why do you keep putting money into the offering basket? Your cash, your checks, all your donated assets are worthless to me. It goes on. Verse 12 and 13, when you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling on my courts? So stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon Sabbaths and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. What's he saying there? Essentially, who asked you to come to church every Sunday? Every part of your services are meaningless, along with all of your holidays. Christmas, Lent, Easter, I cannot bear your meaningless gatherings. goes on, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. That one I don't even have to translate. Scripture says, that, like, I'm not listening to your prayer. This is some heavy stuff. What's gone wrong, right? Why is God no longer listening? Well, we find out in verse 16 and 17, wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Instead, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. You see, what had happened in Israel at this time is they had gotten rich. Things were going really well for them. And they were doing all the religious things. They would show up to service on Sundays. They would make the sacrifices. They would say all the rope prayers. And yet in their richness, in their wealth, they weren't taking care of the poor. They weren't being a champion to the fatherless, to the orphan, to the widow. And God says, you're missing the point. Because the gatherings are not about trying to appease God. The prayer isn't about us gathering together, praying together. These are good things, but when we make them the end goal, when we think that's what God is really after in our relationship with him and what it means to be the church, we miss the point. That's in the Old Testament. The New Testament says the same thing. James those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. And then what type of religion isn't worthless? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself polluted from the world. Widows and orphans in ancient times were the most defenseless, the least able to take care of themselves. They didn't have any rights in ancient times. And so what is religion? It's championing the cause of the helpless, of the hurting, of the broken, of those who have no champions. The religion that our God is trying to bring out of us is to gather a people together who worship and who pray, who find strength in each other, who find strength in their God, but then leave as change agents, to be a champion to the helpless, to be an advocate for the voiceless, to be that person in the story when things are at their darkest, the people of God show up and that music starts to play. And all of a sudden, people start getting smiles on their faces because they're like, wait, I'm not alone in this. There is someone who is walking with me in this. Religion that our Father accepts, what he's trying to build, what he's trying to unleash in us, is to be 
many champions in the story. I was wrestling through a time or a next point in this, and whenever I as a pastor start wrestling with where do I go next, turning to Jesus is normally a good choice. Uh, For future pastors, for future preachers in the church, whenever you get in trouble, just turn to Jesus. Default, just be like, maybe he did something. And the answer is almost yes, he did. And one of the times where he served as a champion, as an advocate, is when the woman is caught in adultery. This is from John 8. I'm going to read through this verse, and then we're going to unpack it. At dawn, he, this being Jesus, appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Think about that for a second. In the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the Old Testament, commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this point, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And at this point, you just have to see tears in her eyes as she says, no one, sir. Well, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. See, the story starts at this point in the gospel. Jesus' movement is really starting to get some traction. He's got people coming from all over Israel. In fact, all over Rome are starting to take notice of this rabbi, this carpenter turned religious dude. And the current religious folks aren't having it because he's taking their name. He's taking their religion. And he's doing it with all the wrong people. You see, Jesus is gathering the prostitutes and the lepers and the outcasts of society and not the normal church folk. And so the church folks start to get a little upset, and so they come up with a trap. They find one of these non-church folk. They find this woman caught in the act of adultery. Throw her at his feet. They say, hey, teacher, she's broken the law. And the law says, both in the Old Testament and in Roman law, actually, adultery is punishable by death. They look at him and they say, what do you say? And the first key point is he doesn't deny it. She had broken the law. She was very much outside of not just society's norms, but the guidelines that God created to keep society from falling off the rails. She had done something illegal. And Jesus, at that point, could have said, you know what, you're out of bounds, you made a mistake, you should have to pay for it. You don't deserve a champion, you don't deserve an advocate. Your own choices got you here. So you're going to pay the price for it. But instead of that, what we find is Jesus takes a different path. He sees this community. He sees this crowd. Everyone wondering what he's going to do. Is he going to pretend she didn't make a mistake? Or is he going to condemn her? 
What Jesus does is he connects her sin to their sin. He levels the playing field. He looks around at each and every person in the crowd and he says, I'll tell you what, we'll play this game. But the first one to pick up a stone, let it be the one who has never sinned, who's never done anything illegal, who's never made a mistake, who's never sinned. And then one by one, and Scripture says the oldest first, because at that point they are by far the wisest, leave, realizing they have no right to pick up the stone, realizing that they are on a level playing field with the broken, with the hopeless, with the helpless. Then all that's left is Jesus and the woman. Now the irony of that is that Jesus has the right to pick up the stone. He's the only one who didn't sin. He's the only one who doesn't break the law. And yet, what does he do? He looks around at now an empty courtyard, and he asks the woman, is there no one left to condemn you? And again, through tears, she says, no, no one. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Because what we see in this is Jesus' primary, in fact, his only concern is for the welfare of the helpless. He says, I will be your champion. I will stand between you and the crowds. I will stand between you and judgment. I will fight for you. I will advocate for you. And he does that by leveling the playing field for all of us, by bringing us all into the story and realizing all of us need grace, all of us need love unconditionally. Not when we do it the right way, not when we make all the right choices, even when we make mistakes, even when our own worst ideas get the better of us, we still need a champion. And then he says, and now I'm going to teach you to be a champion for the hurting. I'm going to teach you to take care of the powerless, to advocate for the voiceless, to be in the trenches. I was thinking through stories of Christians who I've seen this lived in their life, and went back to a message I heard about 10 years ago from an elderly African-American pastor. He grew up in the South and was one of the first students to integrate into school system. He's about 17 years old, and he was walking home, and five Caucasian guys jumped him, and they just went ham on him. And he tells the story that he had to crawl home He gets home, and his mom's there, and his mom starts weeping, he starts weeping. His dignity had been stripped. And as his mom is bandaging him up, he recounts his thought process. And the thought process is, this only happened because it was five on one. I know where every single one of these guys lives, and I'm going to individually make this right. I'm going to individually seek justice. And his mom sees this look in his eyes. And she says, sweetie, you have a choice to make. There's two ways to go forward here. You can seek justice, or you can follow in the way of our Savior. And he said, Mom, I have no interest in our Savior right now. And and he says, my mother quoted me this verse from Ephesians. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant 
offering and sacrifice to God. His mom told him, son, you can either seek justice in this situation, but it never ends. It just keeps the cycle going. You get hurt, and so you hurt back, and then someone else gets hurt, and they hurt back, and it just keeps going on and on and on. She goes, son, you can seek justice, or you can live just as Christ God forgave you. I said, son, the road's going to diverge here. Because I can't make that choice for you. But she says, I promise you, if you live just as Christ forgave you, if you are able to forgive these men, God is going to do something special. And this pastor then spent the next 50 years in the trenches being a champion for racial reconciliation in poverty, for African Americans, but also for Caucasians. His ministry led him to the Appalachian Mountains, where the, uh, uh, coal, the, the, the coal and the work had dried up. And he's there, and he's being a champion for all these white folk. And he's in the inner city of Chicago, and he's being a champion for all these black folk. And the relationships that God started to build, the reconciliation, the beauty that started to happen from his ministry because he was able to put down the stone, because he had the courage and the grace to say, just as God forgave me, so I am going to forgive these men. I am going to forgive this broken situation because I believe my God has bigger plans, better plans. And he became a champion and an advocate. And so my question to you as a church is, what would it look like if Christ's church, if Acts Church Leander was known that every time we showed up in a school, Every time we showed up in a community, every time one of our members showed up in the neighborhood, loving on a neighbor, if in the background that music started to play and people started to identify the church, the marks of the church by love and by champions and by advocates that jumped into the trenches that said, we are here for you. It's no longer us or them, it's us for them. And to live out that true religion that our Father accepts. To defend the cause of the helpless. To pick up the rights of the oppressed and to say, we as sons and daughters of God have been forgiven and so we forgive. We as sons and daughters of God have been loved and so we love. We as sons and daughters of God have been called to bring life to the world. To be those agents of good. To follow, follow our Savior. And as he was a champion for us, to be that champion for those he brings into our lives. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you humbled that despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite our helplessness, that the God of the universe would advocate for each of us individually. To be our champion, to fight for us, to die for us, and yet to be a God of life. And so when you came back to life, you said, as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you to be champions and advocates, to get into the trenches, to the hurting and to the lost and to the broken. Lord, we pray for the courage to step into the gap. We pray for 
the insight to know when to move. And we pray for your strength to be what flows through us and empowers us to follow you. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.